Good morning. You may be seated, I guess. That was nice. Thank you. I'm having so much fun. This is so much better than what I normally do on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> Wednesday mornings, I spend in my home office, and we've got two cats, and I have to fight them the whole time until I finally just lock the door. They love the Word of God laying on it. I hate them. But all our kids are grown, and we need something to take care of in the house, she said. So we have them. It's good to see you. I'm praying for you, and I don't really know you. Uh, Elizabeth Lincoln, where are you? I know those two. Hi. Where's Lincoln? There you are. Hi. It's good to see you guys. I'm praying for all of you. We're praying for a generation to uh, rise up in this country, and specifically I'm praying that the fear of man will be something you do not know. I want you to be absolutely free from it. I want you to be able to obey God without worrying about the consequences that man might impose. And so to look at you, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, serving God's the good life all the time. It's good life. In this, in, in this life here, it's the good life. It's worth it in the world to come, but it's, it's, it's worth it here. Keep doing it. God gives you so many wonderful things. He reveals so much to you, but then also there's little blessings like you go to the rental car place at the Winston Hotel, and the lady goes, ooh, you're a pastor. And I was like, oh, how did you know that? You know, I was just dressed like a regular person. She said, well, I see your email. I was like, oh, yeah, pastorbrendanhardy at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, the pastor needs a fine car. And I was like, really? So I didn't say anything, and she hands me these keys. I go out to the parking garage, and I hand him the guy, and he goes, oh, that one. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Rolls up in a Dodge Charger RT with a Hemi. You should hear that thing roar at five miles an hour in bumper-to-bumper -bumper L.A. traffic. It is ripping. There's little things, though. It's good to be here with you. Pastor Chapel, Dr. Getch, Dr. Rasmussen, thank you for this opportunity. This is a great treat and privilege. Thank you for your hospitality. My room was perfect. I was just back at college again. My room, by perfect, I mean it was full of caffeine, candy, and free Wi-Fi. I'm like, what is better than this? So thank you. It is a real treat to be with you this morning. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Proverbs 2519. Uh, I'll give you a title and then we'll pray, and then we'll get after it here. I've got a lot of scriptures today, so it'll be hard to keep up. I printed them out for myself. A title this morning could be Avoiding Cynicism and Bitterness. And it doesn't matter how you spell cynicism. Nobody's going to see it. <laughs> you might not even see it again. You just, just, so just avoiding cynicism and bitterness. Uh, if you want another longer title, uh, we need to learn how to overcome hurt and live free from the failures of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are. Our heads are bowed before you. Here in the silence of this auditorium, we ask you, Lord, to come to work. We've done everything we've known to prepare for this, but now you have to take over. Lord, I pray we're very vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. 
intentional in our heart to submit and to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get some facts uh, on the paper real quick. Uh, fact number one, people will fail you. It's going to happen. We live on planet Earth. People are going to fail you. Uh, by people, I mean uh, just about everyone. Uh, you could write down Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 4, in the days of Judah. It says, Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Um, it's not strange. Uh, mankind has been the same way forever. Uh, we, we get selfish. Um, we, we, we get dumb. Uh, we do things that we ought not to do, and other people often will pay for it. And this was the case in Judah. Micah chapter 7, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's not strange to have conflict and failure within your immediate family even. This is just a sad reality of life, of this pilgrimage, of walking on this planet. Uh, there will be those that you hold dear to you, that you put your confidence in, your trust in, and they'll drop the ball on you. They will. You will pay for their sin. It will hurt you personally. It will hurt you deeply. Uh, it says in Romans 3, 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. And I had you turn to Proverbs 25, 19, which says confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. It hurts. When you put your confidence your trust in someone who fails you, it hurts for real. It's amazing how shocked you can be when it has happened repeatedly even. Maybe even repeatedly with the same person. They've done something, it has hurt deeply, but there's been some reconciliation, some trust has been earned back, and then they do it again. And it is, it is amazing how even in your own soul you can be so shocked by it. And it can hurt fresh again. Parents. Parents can fail you. Parents can, can fail you. Pastors can fail you. Or you will think they're failing you. They, they say something or do something that you don't like. And for you, it feels like a betrayal. You're interpreting it as such, but there's a pain to it. You really thought they should have done this, but they do this. Teachers, siblings, Across the board, there will be a time, I promise you, and there already has been in many of our lives, where there's been failure on someone else's part, and it has hurt us deeply. Let me tell you this. It's easy, and it is logical for you to start getting um, cynical when it comes to the next relationship, the next leadership, um, the next friend, whatever. Uh, the next thing God calls you to do and you start getting cynical because you've seen it dropped before. You've seen someone fail you before and it hurts. That's the reality of the reliableness of man. Now, I want to look at another fact. Fact number two, you will fail you. You will fail you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There'll be a moment in your life where you think you are absolutely right. You are correct. You know this is what we need to do. And then at the end of it, it turns out you're dead wrong. 
Anybody had that happen? A little show of hands. You really thought, man, this is it. This is it. This is the path. This is the way. This is the relationship. Uh, this is the meaning of it all. This is how I do it. And in the end, it's just failure. You will fail yourself in this life. The Bible says in James 1.22 that you can deceive your own, your own self. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's possible for you to deceive yourself all by yourself in a room, all by yourself on a rock in a field. You say to yourself, buddy, this is the way it is. And it turns out you're just lying to yourself. The Bible says in James 1.26, If any among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You can deceive your own heart that the guts of you believe, yes, it's red. And red is good, and that's what I need to do. And then you take another step, and it turns out it's blue. You're like, no, 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 no. I can't believe it. How could I be wrong? 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Again, the Holy Spirit's just laying down this reality that you can lie to yourself. You will, it's more than lie to yourself, you believe yourself. You tell yourself a lie, and then the other self of you believes it. Then you make decisions based upon it. You make investments based upon it as far as time or energy or resources. You, you pledge yourself to certain things having believed a lie that you told you and then believed you. Galatians 6.3, for if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now let me ask you this. The times that you've deceived yourself, the majority of them at least, were you trying to hurt you? You say, no, that's nonsense. I love me. Why would I want to hurt me? I love me. Most of the time when you have told yourself a lie and believed it, or you've just been dead wrong about something, you said, I think this is the right way, but the end was destruction, you didn't actually mean to hurt yourself. You didn't set out that morning and say, you know what, I'm going to fail myself today. That's what I want to do. What I'd like to point out is there's sometimes in life where others are going to hurt you and fail you, and they don't mean to. It wasn't their intention. There's sometimes we get so selfish that the pain or suffering or sins of others, we believe that we actually are the center of the universe. And so because they have done that, um, they obviously meant to hurt me in that. Um, if, you, if you have parents that are divorced, I'm sorry, it's horrible. I was 15 years old and my parents got a divorce. That divorce wasn't about me. Felt like it. Right? Felt like it. I've had leadership in my life. I've had coaches. I've had teachers. And I felt like, why would they fail me like this? Why would they, why would they do, me like, do me like this? I don't, I don't understand. And then it's wonderful to get the chance to grow up, walk into their shoes, and become their age, and realize that when I was younger, I thought, well, they should know everything at this point. They're grown-ups. They're brilliant. They never struggle with anything. They're so wise. And then you get to be their age, and I say, oh, I know nothing. I am still fighting. I am still struggling. I'm still trying to lay hold of eternal life and, and live the crucified life. And that was very eye-opening for me, that others might pay for my failures, but it has nothing to do with them, and it saddens me. 
I want you to grab a hold of this for a moment because I need to lighten that load a little bit, that hurt a little bit, that you've grabbed a hold of and you have some bitterness in your heart because they failed and you have added the word you to the end of it. They failed you. When in reality, they might have just have failed. They might have failed God, the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, themselves. And you had, um, you got pain because of your proximity. You were close. And it needs to be lightened a little bit because you need to realize, time out, you have failed yourself many times and you didn't mean to. You might be holding some bitterness against someone else right now that they failed. But you are letting it affect you in such a way that the pain is so deep, you're just not moving on. And you need to wait for a moment and say, wait, maybe they need prayer. This isn't all about you. You're not on their radar. You're not the center of their, their universe. You need to let some of this load, some of this pain be, be lightened a little bit. You can write down Titus 1.2 and 2 Corinthians 1.20. People will fail you. You will fail you. God will never fail you. It says in Titus 1-2 that God cannot lie. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. 2 Corinthians 1-20, speaking of our great Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. God will never fail you, and we're all here at Bible College, and we know that. We all, we all know that. You knew, that, you knew that before you got here. I say that, God will never fail you. Uh, great is his faithfulness. We've got a great song about that. And you all uh, assent to it and say, yeah. We know that. We know that, preacher. So the obvious choice then is you need to focus your faith on him, right? We're just, we're just doing arithmetic right now. The obvious choice, focus your faith, your trust, your confidence on him. It says in Psalms 118.8, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now see, these things are gonna be tied together. Other people failing you, and where you put your confidence and trust, these things, these things are married, all right? And so we've established others will fail you, you will fail you, God will never fail you, so it makes sense that if you're gonna trust someone, if you're gonna put your confidence in someone, you need to put it in God. It says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. So I'm going to be very careful with what I perceive in my uh, spirit, my own heart. I'm going to be very careful uh, with what signals and things uh, I, I bank on in other people. I'm going to trust God and God alone. I can put my confidence there because this idea of being hurt and failed by others is related to where I'm putting my confidence and my trust. So everybody in here says amen to that. Others will fail you, I'm gonna fail me, God will never fail me, I need to put my trust in God, and we all say, okay, amen, right? Like, we got it. We're like, yep, mind-blowing. Nope, we all got it, we say, yep, that's good, but how do we actually practice this? When others fail you, what do you do? What happens? Because you know this, you knew this before I got up here and told you this, but when others fail you, what do you do, what happens? You perceive that one of your parents drops the ball on something. Someone in leadership, a friendship. They said they were gonna do this thing, they did the opposite. They betray you, perhaps it was quite intentional. 
I'll tell you what happens. I see a, I see a lot of people whose spirit for obedience, whose spirit for uh, courageous steps of faith is crumpled up like a paper ball in the corner of their soul. Hey, God wants us to do this. Well, maybe, maybe God's calling somebody else, but man, I've, I've been there before, and let me tell you what, it's, it's bad. Or, you know, that'd be a great ministry, but I mean, nobody's really going to show up, you know? I mean, we've tried these kind of things before. Um, you know, so-and-so would really like to uh, uh, get to know you a little bit better. You know what? <laughs> I was three months into Bible college and I gave up dating. <laughs> Literally. I said, I'm done. I, it was madness. I said, from that point forward, I am the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Leave me alone. And then I saw my wife. <laughs> and everything changed. Like, I'm back in the game, boys. Um, there's people that give up on love. There's people that give up on service, ministry. There's people that stop trusting, believing, you know, believing all things, hoping all things, bearing all things. They start, they stop showing charity because they've been hurt, they've been failed. And everyone around them will say, yeah, no, I get it, that was hard. I, 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 man, coming from that situation, it absolutely makes sense that you're just being a little protected, a little guarded. But what happens is this bitterness gets in and it grows up and then you're this cynical human being that is now 70 years old and you've lived 40 years of your life being a grump, having your spiritual growth retarded by the failure of other people. Over and over, meeting people that don't believe all things, hope all things, bear all things. They're not willing to step deeper into the water. They're not willing to reach out by faith into the great unknown place of God when he's clearly saying, reach out, and yet they're too cynical. You know how many people I meet that were raised in a Baptist church? Well, what happened? I had one last week. She was a self-proclaimed pagan, oh, I don't even know if I can say, I don't even want to say these words from the pulpit. Anyway. She was raised in church. I said, do you have a minute? I'd like, to, I'd like to hear how that happened. She was God. I said, no, you're not. Come on. You know you're not God. She was hurt by the church. And now she's living a life completely contrary to the scriptures, denying God, calling herself a pagan goddess. You know how many people I met that were raised in church? And maybe something happened. And then they quit God, quit church, over and over and over, bitter, cynical, not doing God's will. Not impacting this world for eternity because they let the failure of others hurt them to the point where they grew that root of bitterness. And we've all done it. You might be in here right now and there's some things you will not touch with a 10-foot pole because you said, no, I've had that happen before and I got hurt. There's, there's someone that needs your forgiveness. You need to free them of this debt, but you're holding on to it because you've done it once before, and then they transgressed again. You know, I'm done. I'm done. And ironically enough, you, feeling like you've put them in some sort of jail, have actually just placed yourself in a type of captivity where you're locked by this. You're not moving forward. So we all say, yeah, I know people fail us. I know all fail me. I know God never will. I know I should put my trust 
in God, but in reality, when it happens, or it's happened in the past, where, what have you done? I want you to repeat after me something in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to repeat after me. Let's just say it in your mind here. No man can mess up God's will for my life. No man can mess up God's will for my life. No man can mess up God's will for my life. I want you to hold to this thought for a moment. You know who knew this? Abraham knew this. Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about pursuing the will of God. We're talking about you allowing the failures of others and the hurt from those things to make you bitter and cynical. It's preventing you from stepping forward. It's preventing you from seeing God's will for your life. You're not proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. No, you've been retarded in your growth because others have hurt you. And you're holding on to it. And you're not moving forward in the next thing because you're hedging all your bets. Oh, I don't know. And yet God's saying, come out. Abraham, do you remember when Abraham, his family got big and his servants got large? And, and I mean, not in size, in number. Like, they all got fat. Um, Lot and his servants, they grew in number. And, and the, the time came where they couldn't be together anymore, right? And so Abraham goes along. He says, we need to split up. Now, if I'm Abraham, this is what I say. I say, listen, little Lot, I'm the boss here. I have all the promises of God on me. So I'm going to tell you, tell you what. I'm going to go this way, and you're going to go that way. Do you remember, remember when Abraham said that? Don't nod your head because you're lying. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, he said, Lot, I'm going to tell you what. We need to split up. Choose which way you want to go. If you go that way, I'll go this way. And if you go this way, I'll go that way. And Lot made his decision. Off towards Sodom he went, and Abraham said, that's fine. You know Why? Because Abraham said, no man can mess up God's will for my life. I don't have to pick first. I don't have to be in charge. God is going to work this out for his purposes. I'm his man. No man can mess up God's will for my life. And so Abraham says, go for it. Lot goes, and what does God say to Abraham? Hey, Abraham, look this way, look this way, look this way, look this way. You see all that land? It's all yours. Oh, even though Abraham had said, if you go right, I'll go left, the deal was done. God said, no, right's yours too, Abraham. It's all going to be yours, Abraham. Abraham knew Lot is not going to mess up God's will for my life. God will see his will performed in me because I'm with him and, and he's on the throne. Lot isn't going to mess this up. You understand that it might actually be the failures of others that direct you deeper into God's will for your life? Like maybe your whole family, almost your whole family hates you one day. Maybe they want to murder you. You escape to West Coast Baptist College. No, maybe they don't. Maybe they throw you in a pit. Maybe they throw you in a pit, and you're just like, I can't believe this. This is, my, this is blood. This is my family. How could they do this to me? Then they sell you into the slave trade, maybe. How can they do this to me? We're brothers. Now I'm off into this pagan kingdom. What's going on? And then you get bought by a guy. And you're working as hard as you can, and he's got this wicked woman for a wife, and she propositions you, and you do the right thing. You're like, no way. I'm not sinning against God. You're doing everything right. And then you get thrown in jail. Talk about the failure of others. Just people hurting you, betraying you on purpose. 
And God's just moving you here and here and here. There you are in jail. And you look at that one guy who's getting out, and you say, hey, would you tell the, tell the big boss that I shouldn't be here? And he says, you got it, buddy. You've been so good to me. And then you never hear anything. That bum completely forgets you exist for a long time. How could he? I took such good care of him in here. He promised me. I read his dreams. Failure, 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 failure. But what's happening? You know this. Other people failed Joseph right to the throne of Egypt. Second command in the land. God said, I'm going to use their failure to move my man. Read about the bitterness of Joseph. Read about how cynical he became sitting in that jail. It's not there. What do you keep saying? God, God's with me. God will do it. God's with me. God can do it. God is with me. I'm just going to keep doing my best. I've called Joseph the happy idiot sometimes. Like, man, do you not read the room? Everybody hates you. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. God is with me. And he just kept walking in God's will, and God's using the failure of this person and this person and this person. Next thing you know, he's number two in the land. He's bringing all of Jacob and his descendants into the great incubator to build the nation of God. His bitterness, if it would have been there, would have killed God's will for his life. And God would have found somebody else. But he remained faithful to God. You know, it might actually be the very failure of others that becomes the platform for God's greatest work. The one who was sent to his own people and they received him not and rejected him. Who hollered at him when he preached, condemned him. One of his own closest boys betrayed him. Judas Iscariot hauled before the Roman government and his own priests yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The failure of one after another after another, building the platform for God's greatest work. Who our great Savior Jesus Christ upon the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Behold, the absence of bitterness. Well, this will never work. Never once uttered by the mouth of our Savior. Failed over and over and over to the greatest work of God. You've got to be free from this, young people. You understand that your bitterness and your cynicism reveals who you're trusting. If you have bitterness and you are regularly cynical about the next thing God's doing in your life, God's calling you to, the next chapter, you understand that reveals who you're trusting in. You're trusting men, not God. You're trusting patterns of men instead of the faithfulness of God. You understand that trusting men is idolatry. And here's the thing, this isn't some message about just tell everybody how dumb they are and you never wanna be with them anymore and like, none of you matter anymore. No, no, it's a freedom. Like, it's a freedom. Just like, listen, it's okay. I'm going to stick with God. God's going to be faithful no matter what. Others might fall by the wayside, but we're going to be okay because God is not falling. He's still on his throne. We're going to be all right. I can love freely. I can forgive freely. I can serve faithfully because God is on the throne. 
It, God, God will never allow another man to mess up his will for my life. And so I can operate full of faith knowing God is able. You've got to be bigger than this, young people. Do you understand when God turned Job's captivity? Job had some friends. They were rotten. They were rotten friends. Of all the times I needed you guys, it was now. And you're telling me how absolutely wicked I am. And the Bible says in Job that his captivity was turned when he prayed for his friends. God let it all play out. Here we have this amazing, I don't have time to draw it, you know it, you've got a Bible, you can read it. He let it all play out though. And then when God is getting ready to release Job from this captivity, he waited for Job to pray for the people that were failing him. Now I'm going to release you. No man can mess up God's will for my life. Young people, walk close with Jesus. Walk close to Jesus with freedom and joy. Not suspicion and bitterness. Not suspicion and bitterness. Stop being so cynical. Let the bitterness die. Let that root dry up and let the Holy Ghost free you from it because no man can mess up God's will for your life. They have not stopped his hand. Their choices, their failures, their decisions, they have not prevented God's great work in your life. Paul knew this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Things are rough, but we're okay. Everything's terrible, but I'm doing fine. The stars are falling, but I don't need them. Paul understood this. I'm not going to put faith in men or myself. Men will fail me. It's sad, but it's okay. I belong to him. He says in Romans 8:31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen to him in 2 Timothy 4, 16. After his discourse with, uh, regarding Alexander the coppersmith, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. I called for help, and nobody showed up. And I prayed, Lord, don't hold that against them. That's Jesus being manifest in Paul. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's, some, it's one thing to see Jesus pray that prayer, right? We all go, yeah, that's Jesus. And then it's another thing to see a former murderer converted to Christianity, turned missionary, praying those same things. So sincere that God says it gets to be in the book. Yeah, he's not lying. He, he prayed that, and it, it was sincere, so put that in the book. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. No man came, but the Lord did. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Nobody came to help me, but God was there. And then he just did everything. 
He delivered me even from the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. No man can mess up God's will for my life. No one is going to stand between you and the Lord God and prevent you from walking in his ways prevent you from seeing his great purposes. There is no man that can stop you from seeing the end of the Lord in this matter. We have to stop with the excuses. Stop with the excuses. We have to shed the bitterness. We have to stop being so cynical. Enough with the grump and the doomsday prepper. Oh, it'll never work. I've tried before, but stop it. Stop it. You sound like somebody who's trusting men or themselves. Stop it, you idolater. Trust him. He's still calling. He's still pushing. He's still pressing. We are still here, amen? I get to serve in what I call the seat of Satan. If you want to live somewhere more liberal than, Oregon, than California, move to Oregon. That's what I've had so many Californians tell me. They're like, we needed, to, we needed to get somewhere more liberal, so we moved here. I'm like, amen. They don't really, the, the believers say that. It's funny. I like it. It's a joke, kind of. We have everything evil that you want. We have, we have everything evil that you want. You, you, you drive through our town, and you will see stuff that you will not see in California. Uh, I, I was raised in little Montana, so my mind exploded when I got to Salem, Oregon. Our... our, our, our our freedom of speech interpretation, it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, you, you can go there and you can do cocaine um, up to a certain amount. If you're a caregiver and you get like five people you take care of, you can have that, like if you have five people you take care of, you have five times whatever that legal limit is to have cocaine, heroin, stuff on you. Um, you, you can get a ticket for it, but that's it. The way we ha enforce our drug laws and free speech laws, abortion, when the rest of the nation was turning over Roe v. Wade, our governor set aside money to fly people in to kill babies. The seat of Satan. And you know what's happening? Churches are being built spiritually, physically. Missionaries are being sent. God's people are rejoicing and, and passing out hundreds and thousands of gospel tracts, New Testament Bibles, and souls are being saved. We just sat 11 days at the Oregon State Fair. We set up our Gospel Truth booth. And the strangest thing this year, ages 11 to 17, flocking to our booth saying, tell me. Tell me about this. I need to know about this. Jocks with, with, with other football player friends and girlfriends coming to the booth saying, we want to know about this. Seeing profession of faith after profession of faith of young men, young women saying, hey, can I call my parents real quick and have them come hear this? only to hear, we're in the beer garden, we don't care about what you're doing, okay? But over and over, another generation saying, we, we want to know this, we want to hear this, and then coming to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the seat of Satan, God is still marching. It'd be easy for me to look around and be like, what are we doing? You know how many people moved to Idaho from Oregon during COVID? The great pilgrimage, I'm sure you all saw it too. I had one couple, they moved back. They said all our neighbors were from California. I don't know what's wrong with this place. I love it. I'm going to stay. They moved back. They bought a house 
Three months later, move back. I say, hey, welcome. They're like, it's just, it's going everywhere. Evil's everywhere. God is still calling, but to have the bitterness wound you to the point where you stop saying, yes, God. To have a a level of suspicion where where you're just going to hold up at every command, every step, say, well, just, I I don't know about this, I don't know about that. You've got to shed it. Men will fail you, and it's sad, it hurts, but everything's going to be okay because no man can mess up God's will for your life. Walk close. Stop hedging your bets. Stop holding back. Stop allowing bitterness to arrest you in your tracks. Be free. It's you and God, and you're good. He's still on the throne, and you're fine. You have a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. Grace. Forgive freely. Maybe today's the day you forgive. You think they messed up God's will for your life. You think they did. You think they messed up God's will for your life. And so you're mad still. And today's the day you forgive. Say, man, they can't mess up God's will for my life. God might even use that failure to direct me to the next place. God, I'm sorry. You need to forgive them today. You need to serve faithfully. There's something God's been putting on your heart, and you, because of your level of cynicism that you've built up, say, you're saying no. Today, say yes. Stop it. Stop it. We got this much time to do everything we can for our king. Stop saying no. Get rid of those excuses. Love with no because. You can love people for what they are or who they are. You can love people for what you get from them. Or you can just love them with no because. There is no because. I just love them freely. I'm going to believe all things, hope all things. I'm going to bear all things. I'm going to love with no because. You can line up all your Bible verses behind that. Forgive as, Christ, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Love as God has loved you. Young people, follow God no matter what. Follow God no matter what. Stop telling him about your resume, your past, your history, the history of others. Follow him no matter what. Just say, yes, Lord. I don't know how this will turn out, but I know that you're on the throne. You're going to take care of me. It's going to be all right. Even if you start to sink in the water, he'll grab your hand and pull you up. Obey him and move forward in the freedom and the power of the Holy Ghost. The freedom and power of the Holy Ghost. Saying no man can mess up God's will for my life. Stay close, young person. You will know the strong arm of God when you do this. You will see the strong arm of God. We all love the heroes of the Bible. Man, I love to see that. You're not willing to do what they did. You're not willing to do what they did to see the strong arm of God in your life. You've got to be free in your obedience to God, knowing He is able, and you will see the strong arm of God in your life. You will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I promise you. Bet on Him. Prove Him. Be free.